At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hello, everyone. It's John Pollock and Wei Ting, and it's our monthly post-wrestling roundtable show, and we've got Canadian royalty with us by way of <laughs> New York. The recently hitched Arda Ocal joining us. Not every day that we get to see the man live and in living color here in Toronto. Arda, thank you so much. For those that are watching the video, he has completely come over to the dark side, the post side, because we are in the post world here with Arda Ocal. I love this shirt. First of all, it fits great, so thank you. It fits really well on you. Yeah, I like it a lot. A little you, medium shows off the medium. You really don't, don't look like a medium. You look like a large, larger guy, but I guess like the medium fits well. What an uh, insult like right it. off the no, bat. No, no, no. He, no, I'm saying he he. he looks more buff. He, he fills it out. He does, yeah, totally. I was yes. laughing. I'm laughing if you can hear because re- royalty, thanks. Yeah, sure. <laughs> like laughing under my, yeah, okay. That's hilarious. King like I, I, say, I say this every time we're on a podcast together. Man, back in the day, when we would have interviews together, especially when we were on the same like media uh, like tour, you know, like the Jerichos of the world that would do like the same haunts every single time in Canada and like you and I would be a part of that I'd always compare my questions to yours every single time I watch your stuff and then I'd compare it to my stuff and I'm like ah Paul I got a better question there I I like always compare I remember when I I think this was right around when Aftermath started and I had got I had locked up like an interview in advance with Hulk Hogan and then I found out like you and Corey Erdman got him and I was just like damn it I thought I was gonna be the only (laughs) one to get Hogan and, and that was when Arno Cal. That? that had to have been what 2009, I think. He came out with his. It was his second book he came out with, and he was doing uh, some book tour up here. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was the most accessible when he did that show in Brantford. Do you remember that? Yes. Yes. What was CWF? CWI. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah in Brantford. Mm-hmm. They did it at the arena where they did used to do the WWF tapings. Yeah, and it Hogan was, did a, like, what was it, a run-in? I think. Yeah, Hogan was, was just on the show. I can't imagine. It was like Nash. It was like Steiner. That was the, the Hurricane Rana uh, interview, was it not, for that mm-hmm. show? Yeah, you're oh, right. You're, you're right. right. The Scott Steiner one. Yes. That's right. That's right. Yeah, Steiner was on that show. Yeah. That was also, it was the weekend after Randy Savage died and Lanny Poffo was on the show. Oh, right. so I remember he did like a moonsault in the ring. And here we were, we like, got to speak to Lanny Poffo. Like, day, I think Savage died like the weekend before. It was mm-hmm. like uh, recently, right, be, right before that. And that was a show that... Yeah, I was just looking around. I was like, I don't know. That was a one and done. One and done. Yeah. yeah. Strangely enough. Unbelievable. And that was when Hogan was in TNA. So anyway, mm-hmm. uh, he went on to, to many more things afterwards. <laughs> so okay. what uh, what has brought you back to wonderful Toronto? You are now New York based uh, for those that, that are not familiar mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. You are uh, you are a staple of the, the Toronto scene still. But uh, what brings you back here? Well, yeah, I'm re- I'm uh, going to be the new commentator for Ring of Honor. Actually, I'm here at going to take we're, we're just hours before. <laughs> not only. Oh, man. Imagine that. Ian Riccoboni, look out. See ya, Ian. Take a hike. Yeah, no, not at all. 
Uh, actually, the NHL, I'm working with the NHL for the next couple months. Uh, they are uh, starting their foray into esports and they launched a gaming world championships. Uh, basically, 24 uh, expert NHL 18 players in three different regions America, Canada, and Europe. And we're going to each location uh, to get qualifiers for the world championships in Vegas. So I'm doing play by play. Believe it or not, dusting off the old play by play. But this time, watching people play video games and calling the video game. Do you, t- do you see any kind of parallels between esports and wrestling? Like these two fringe things that it, it seems like the mainstream is now catching up to where esports is gigantic. Like, do you find like you were kind of ahead of the curve following this to see where is it accepted now? I guess is uh, amongst you know other kind of big sports that are now like dedicating time to esports in a major way. Yes, it's definitely like the flavor of the month for sure. But I feel like it's going to be more than that because especially people generations behind us are just watching the best in the world play these games. It it really is like millions upon millions. Like League of Legends is hitting like billions of dollars now. It's amazing. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 completely becoming its own self-contained industry and it's come to the point where sports are investing because they feel like they're behind. So right. like the NBA 2K League is a good example. 17 of the teams in the NBA have invested money in their own teams so that they can form a league of these of these players playing this game. The NHL has decided we're going to make this tournament and put $100,000 of prize money so that people can win. So, yeah, esports is becoming I don't know how I would compare it to I mean it's still niche if in terms of comparing that to wrestling. It's still niche to the point where I feel like it's the beginning of the what the attitude era was like probably what like 95 96 where like you could notice a, an, an uptick i guess right and then it kind in of in and around there still a few years before it really exploded i survivor feel like series 96 yeah survivor series 96 you have a whatever the austin brett equivalent is whatever the you know the the, the rock whoever the <laughs> rock of esports is is making a debut and yeah. blue tassels somewhere and Jerry Curls. So are you the Jim Ross of this whole thing? Or that's you- that's my goal. Yeah, and I actually did do a businesses picking up uh, line. I threw one into <laughs> the you? commentary. Yeah, I did that on purpose. I did that yeah. on purpose. I I find esports so interesting because it I guess really is reflective of like what kids are doing these days. Maybe instead of picking up a basketball, I mean everybody has access to a PC and is playing League of Legends or something like that. So. It's probably just reflective of like what people are more interested in these days. Exactly. And people are just watching. It's not even just competitive gaming. It's streaming. People are just watching. People have fun on the stream. Like the guy that I do color commentary with, uh, he's in his 20s. His name is Nasher. That's his, his, his uh, Andrew's his name, but he goes by Nasher online. And he's a content creator. And, all, and what he does is he plays NHL 18, but it's just fun. He doesn't like compete competitively against people he's just making fun videos like mm-hmm. let me try this like really cool sick move yeah and he has like a great following online it's it's incredible media is just changing so much now like i mean like john we talk about wrestling and and a lot of people i think just they want to feel like they're uh in in just like watching friends play you know the, yeah people have as much fun just doing that as they do watching pros i bet yeah, they want to feel like they're part of a community in a way. Yeah. Very sort much of like, so. Sort of like what you guys are creating with Post, right? Like they, it, people feel like they're part of the community. It's almost like they're in your living room as you guys are talking mm. wrestling. I think or that, in this hotel room. I, I love that people can see the video of how this setup this. is. Like it, <laughs> It's it is like on my luggage. About as ghetto as, as, uh, as I think uh, it deserves to be. 
Yeah, we, yes, in the true. Modern, modern age. <laughs> we had one of our listeners on the, the other day, and he's saying to us before, he's like, man, you guys really hit it big time. And here I am, crouched <laughs> in the corner where I've moved my baby's crib around as I'm hunched in the corner with my spine in the for- in the shape of a question mark, trying to speak into my microphone here. I was like, if you could see this right now, trust me, you would probably uh, ease it in on the on the big time comments. But I think this, honestly, like this is so much of what people are doing now, where it's just... You get a microphone and it's if you enjoy the people you hear from, like you, me and Wei don't need a gigantic budget to be putting this on. We don't need a massive studio. We don't need a big office to, to be renting out. I think it's a lot of it. It's just it's a lo- low budget content that people can get rather easily. It's the content, you know, and it's the time that I think we, we put into the content that that maybe matters the most. And everything else is just dressing. And it's great to have. But I would say. Um, not not a hundred percent necessary. I think everything else kind of comes first. Yeah, I think that's that's been one of my observations. Kind of just getting away from the TV world. I'd be curious if you've seen this as well. It's just, you know, you come from a mindset of you know this is the way that television has been done. This is the way that this is done because it's it's almost a generation behind you that this is the way it was produced. Versus, well, what's this going to look like tomorrow? And thinking about, well, th- this is all fine if we were putting together television ten years ago, but it's not ten years ago. No, it's completely different. And I, I think that that sometimes is it's it's that mindset that's still putting out the product, and yet it's the people that are on the ground floor, your experts, your content creators, that are the ones that are are tapped into what's happening tomorrow i i'll give you a perfect example like the whole television versus content thing so we're sitting there and we're shooting this for uh online for for nhl's twitch and stuff but it's also going to go online but like just the whole broadcast versus content mindset so nasher has this uh he has like a what is it like a a tripod that he holds like a a handheld one with like a dslr camera is that Mm -hmm. what it is yeah like one of those cameras he's constantly like selfie right content but everything is content to him so like mm-hmm. someone's uh practicing a, a prompt to read content someone uh is going to get coffee pro- uh, content someone is uh i don't know the players are, are warming up and playing uh scrimmage games content everything mm-hmm. is content and in my head i'm thinking like you're gonna make a 20 minute video out of this and people are gonna watch it and then i saw him post the first vlog and it got like i don't know like 150,000 views wow. and i'm like I can't believe, like, I, I'm I'm impressed. Like, I, I, I believe that the guy's really good at his, what he does. But, like, I'm like, in my head, I'm like, who's watching anything for 20 minutes anymore? If you love something enough, like, you would, you'd probably want to see everything you can. Yeah. About it, especially when it comes to behind-the-scenes footage. And I, I think this relates very well to pro wrestling where. <laughs> hey, what's up? Uh, where, you know, I think uh, so That's much, true. That's so much of what, what we've typically seen uh, in regards to celebrities or sports stars or professional wrestlers has been pre-produced. Everything is just like well thought out and pre-planned. And you, the image that you get in front of a camera is something that I think is very much rehearsed. Whereas, you know, doing something like vlogs, you're getting a glimpse into the mundane and, and the mundane that you never ever see. So people, I think, still are very curious about just even getting coffee or something like that. Did you find a big difference when you were doing both Aftermath, the TV version versus Aftermath, the podcast? Did you find a big difference? Because I, I would find myself, you know, on TV versus just with way on a podcast. Very different. I mean, there was way more uh, time limitation on the TV show. And also it was less 
it was more formal on television, right? Like we knew exactly every point that we were essentially going to make, or we had, okay, here's 30 seconds to make your point, or here's 45 seconds to make your point, especially in the first segment, because we wanted to retain the audience as much as possible, mm-hmm. right? Because we had a lead in like that. That's why Aftermath worked mm-hmm. or works even today is because it has the lead in of WWE, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, there wouldn't have been aftermath would not have been as successful as it as it is i been. would say the same for the law like but but on the other end you know like uh, sorry working with wwe pay-per-views as a lead in right to that 11 o'clock time slot for the law exactly yeah. and that's why uh aftermath or right after wrestling before that worked on monday nights mm-hmm. because people just want to hear opinions on stuff after they watch it right so that's why it worked at the time but it was it was more free it was more the podcast was a much more freeing right like you could talk as much as you want and you can gauge whether you want to move on from a subject as opposed to oh we have a time restriction so we have to move on now but the conversation is stuck in the middle like i can't tell you how many times that happened on television where you're like have a really good debate about something but then you got to go to break or you just never get back to that conversation it just ends Mm-hmm. Right. And like not everyone has made their point or it's just picking up and you can tell like even the audience at home can tell. I've, I can't tell you how many tweets I've gotten where people were like, oh, I wish you'd continued that. Like, whether we were talking about whatever the rocks return after how many years or whatever. And it's like, oh, we only have a couple minutes because the that that was the, the biggest thing. Like aftermath would be uh, the time of uh, the timing of aftermath would be de- determined by how long the raw overrun went. Mm-hmm. So like, oh, wow. yeah. So like I remember the week that the raw uh, the rock returned. Uh, for the, was it the host host WrestleMania? Right, mm-hmm. and it was he some went, giant overrun. Yeah, he went like seventeen minutes over. Right, so aftermath was probably like a six minute show that that week. Wow. So like, but that's all we talked about. Like, okay, what are we gonna do? <laughs> Win, fail, talk about the rest of the show? No, we're talking about the Rock for six minutes, and then that's the show. Did you find with it with you and specifically with, with Jimmy was that a chemistry that was instant? Was it something that evolved over time? We met, we became instant friends. Like I, I knew that, I didn't know that we would be creating content for as long as we did, but I knew that we would be good friends. Like he, around the same time that we started doing right after wrestling was around the time where he started to show up at independent shows. So that's how we met. I think we met at an indie show. Yeah. I think it was like a, might've been a Max Pro show or might've been a, I don't know what it was at the time, BSC, Max Pro, whatever. Or maybe, maybe it was, no, it wasn't Seb's show at the time. So even being based out of here, you guys didn't meet till. No, 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 no. We met, we met at an indie show and then we just like got along super well. And then how we started. It's very hard not to get along with Jimmy Cordes. Yeah, he, everyone hates him. He's the worst. He just, he buries everyone. Do you feel like we should, uh, you know, maybe rewind back and just kind of talk a bit about how Arda got into professional wrestling and exactly what. Yeah, if you want to kill this podcast. (laughs) But I I feel like a lot of people are familiar with you, but they might not be as familiar with with your background in promoting pro wrestling and and just everything that you did with like. Yeah, because that's how I first met you was through BSE. Yeah. Yeah. When you were still, when you were coming into the Fight Network to pitch some ideas. Yes. And Mm -hmm. we actually ended up getting a show on the Fight Network for like a season. And I remember we shot that at squared circle and i actually got help with from the rogers tv guys because i was doing stuff for rogers tv peel and they weren't paying me so i was like how about i just use some of the resources to be able to put together another show that i want to do because rogers didn't want the show Mm -hmm. they wouldn't put wrestling on their network i remember i put together a 15 page Mm -hmm. proposal which is the stupidest idea looking back on it 15 who's reading 15 pages of anything right Mm -hmm. i put put it together went to my station manager at the time and i'm like i have a great idea he's like what is it it's a professional wrestling and then i couldn't say anything else and he's like not interested wow yeah and i was like well okay so did you uh 
right out of high school, yeah. uh, did you want to get into broadcasting or was it specifically professional wrestling that you wanted to be involved in? I care. I liked, I loved wrestling and I loved hockey. Those were like the two passions that I had. And I always cared about the broadcasters of both. I never wanted to be a wrestler. I never wanted to be a hockey player. I wanted to be either like Jim Ross or Mean Gene or someone like Bob Cole or Ron McLean. Like right. those were the mm-hmm. people that I grew up watching. Obviously growing up in Canada, those are the hockey broadcasters in Canada that I would watch. So I played hockey I watched a lot of wrestling, but I didn't ever think that that would be a job option. So I I went to university, got a degree in math. I thought, honestly, I would be like a desk job guy. Mm -hmm. And I did that for a couple of years. And then I found myself nights and weekends being at the local Rogers TV, catching the bug, right? So like I I just learned every different position. And then I did that for a couple of years. And eventually I was like, man, I really enjoy this. So I auditioned to do something online. They had open auditions and I hosted random shows that had nothing to do with wrestling. I still didn't know at that time that I could even do anything in wrestling. I didn't know, right? Like, you know, we, we grew up knowing that it was such a closed environment. How do you even get into the industry? And then once I started reading about it more, you know, all the stuff like the internet basically blew up kayfabe, right? So you can read stuff online and results were up there all of a sudden. And it's people's stories. And then McFoley's book came out and it really became like the beginning of mm-hmm. like people's behind the scenes stories. So then through that, I started to go to indie shows and just started asking questions. So... Probably around like 2006, 2005, I started to like just set up chairs at a local show like Fuego, uh, Rob Fuego, who rents rings now. I think that's what he does now. Um, he was he had Squared Circle Training, uh, which was a, a training facility that actually a lot of people came out of there, especially in Canada. And and that was like the first guy that, that was kind like of, first, you know, opened, yeah. opened the door, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, yeah. The guy that let me like, he's like, oh, yeah, okay, if you want to help set up chairs, cool. And then like, I wasn't learning about the business, but I was like in, in and around it. And I thought it was really cool. And then through that, I met a bunch of people. And then so that's how it sort of uh, grew into me being able to then, you know, maybe do some contributions content wise. And then I, I said, hey, I have some ideas for shows. And then they just listened mm-hmm. to them. I mean, the the barrier to entry to do a wrestling show, as you know, is very low. All you need is money and just logistics. So if you can do those two things, then you can put on a wrestling show because it's not an exorbitant amount of money, especially if you're not booking big names, right? Like, so if it was a a name show, for example, or if you're connected with a, a, an entity that would be willing to pay it as part of your entertainment, then, you know, a, any wrestling organization would be happy to have you. So. Hmm. Did you still fall into the era where the commission was still regulating shows in Ontario or was afterwards? I think that was afterwards. Yeah, for sure. I don't, I didn't deal with any commissions ever. Mm-hmm. So that was definitely, people had dealt with that. So yeah. I heard stories about it, but I never, yeah, that was, was it Lufisto? Was that, she, uh, she, this yeah. With her? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you know, since, you know, I, I'm kind of torn on like, I like the idea of what a commission can do, making sure, you know, guys are healthy to be going into the ring, making sure you have certain precautions. But I think in so many cases, it's it's just nickel and diming these promoters to the point that it's not even feasible to run shows. And you end up getting just like barren provinces or mm-hmm. states that like can't even it's not worth your time. It's it's kind of the state with MMA in Ontario. Oh, it's so- supposed to be this massive breakthrough. And it's it's crickets now. Yeah, because it's just it's not cost prohibitive. Agreed. And, and, and at one point, the Score Fighting Series was really the only show that was creating any sort of mm-hmm. generating anything. But going back to wrestling, like, but the other part of it is there was at, at some point, like maybe was it like 2009 or 2010, there were so many indie shows yes. that it just wasn't worth going to shows because you weren't getting a good product, right? Mm-hmm. Like it just was like 
you'd get maybe a couple of good names on the show, but the rest of it was awful. It was just like too much saturation. Maybe it's the same way now, but it was I, I would oversaturated. Say now, I would say now it's like, if you're in Toronto, you're pretty spoiled now. When you get Smash and Destiny and like there's Alpha One out of Hamilton. Super kicked. Super kicked as well. Mm. It's like, you know, I, I think all like quality products that are running now that you mm. get a lot of big names because now it's, it's, it's still a lot to bring these guys in, but it's, it's still you can attract like a pretty decent audience now. Now that you know, Smash is running the Phoenix, you know, every other month. That's great. I'm so happy for Sebastian. I, I hope that something happens there. I would love for him to become the uh, the WWE's Canadian arm. Like I think that needs to happen at some point. They seem to have a working agreement with TNA's of some sort. Oh, do they broadcasting okay. on the Fight Network? Well, I think. Well, never mind. <laughs> but who knows? You know, I mean, I'm sure I don't know exactly what the extent of that relationship is. Okay, but going back to it, you uh, kind of a you know, Way's doing a good job. You see, he's keeping us online. <laughs> he's the quarterback, kind of a kind of like you know, getting into professional wrestling. Your 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 math degree, just you know, whatever. You tell your parents, hey, I'm done with this math stuff. Yes, I'm, I'm all in with this pro wrestling thing. You start promoting, helping promote some shows for. for I was going to be the next Dean Douglas. It didn't work out. Right. <laughs> you start promoting some shows for BSE and then at what point did you kind of transition from that into the score so the score that was like two concurrent paths so like I was doing a bunch of the indie wrestling stuff but I was doing that as well as pursuing broadcasting so I was doing Mm. stuff at Rogers TV and then I started to volunteer at Hardcore Sports Radio which was the series radio station that the score exactly that the score uh, that you know a thing or two about John yes Uh, so which was like a super fun station like when it launched like it just had this real kind of underground kind of like rebel you know feel to it that it 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 built this community really quickly and i was really amazed at like what they were able to do with it was almost like it had no attachment to the score it was like its own little property what were were some of the names like that i think of of people i mean gabe gabe uh, morenci gabe morenci was huge on there like he was like the amount of audience that he was able to attract and then you had Corey, of course was part of Corey erdman was starting out there as a producer um the main show the main show they had, uh, what was his name? Richard Garner. Richard Garner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drive yeah. this. Yeah, he yeah, was yeah, he this. was part of like their big show with like Cam Stewart and Sarah Mian. Sarah Mian, yes. So those were kind of like the key names, and then Moro was brought on because Moro was doing nothing at the Fight Network until this radio show came up, and it was something to do every day, mm. and. I was designated the producer. So that was kind of the lineup that they had at the at the beginning. When you look at like kind of like that era of the score, really, like the, the amount of talent that that I think was in that, you know, just really in the Toronto scene between yourself and I mean, uh, Renee, obviously. Yep. Moral, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you yeah. exactly why. Because we had the cr- uh, freedom to be creative mm-hmm. because we didn't have a lot of red tape at the score. The score was definitively... Back in the day, the score was a serious radio station. It was a national sports television station. It was a website. And then later the app came. And so we were definitively, especially on television, number three. Which has its advantages. Television. Exactly. You can take chances as number and, three. And my big break came because the number one property on the score at the time by far was WWE. And just to give context, they at some point had March Madness in Canada. They had English Premier League, um, but that's about it. Like they had that level of sort of like maybe once a year tournaments, but definitely not hockey, definitely not basketball. Anything like that would either go to Rogers or Bell, uh, TSN or Sportsnet. So the score wouldn't even consider bidding on that stuff. They wouldn't have enough money to do so, right? Mm -hmm. So WWE was the biggest property that they had. So 
literally how Aftermath got created was I was volunteering and, and doing stuff on hardcore sports radio. And I, that means that I happened to be on the company wide list. Mm-hmm. And so there was an email sent out by Greg Sansoni, who was at the time the vice president of programming for the score. And he li- he sent out an email to everybody and said, uh, we're looking for show ideas. If you happen to have an idea, then s- fill out this one page form and submit it to my assistant and, you know, we'll field ideas and consider them. So I filled out the one-page form because I thought that it would be a cool idea to have a post-game show for wrestling. And my my pitch was, you guys have WWE. Wouldn't the audience stick around for an extra half hour if they had a show with analysts in the show or in the studio talking about wrestling? And so I sent the email off, not thinking twice about it, going back to her cutting clips or whatever. And then 20 minutes later, I got an email back from the assistant saying, can you go into Greg's office to talk about this? Wow. So I did. And then about a month later, after uh, right after wrestling was born, that that's really how it happened. Mm-hmm. Like it was like anybody who likes that show has Greg to thank because yeah. he's the one that essentially greenlit the show to happen. And in many ways, like the creation of that show kind of led to... I, I would say directly led to Renee getting into the WWE, in my opinion, so, from the outside watching it. I can tell you this. So the first year of Right After Wrestling was completely like no kayfabe. We talked about writers. We talked about everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. I've seen some of those clips. Yeah, it was like completely. Moral especially. <laughs> we've, it was yeah. like no holds barred. Talk yeah. about anything. Then I don't know why we were allowed to do this because you, the three of us, and probably all of your listeners know that like WWE is very like, mm-hmm. especially, especially at that time, and, and especially yeah. on the network that is carrying sure. the program. Yes. Like mm-hmm. that is like unheard of that you would have this conversation. I remember the week that um, Ariel Helwani had the interview with the Undertaker. Yep. that was what we led with. Yeah, wow. we didn't even talk about what was happening on Raw or SmackDown. I remember that that was the first topic of conversation. So that gives you an idea of how like out there we were with our topics. Mm-hmm. So then apparently uh, WWE somehow I forget how caught wind of this like. I don't know how they didn't know beforehand, but I guess they sort of noticed it at the time. So then they were like, wait a second, we don't like this at all. So the story, as I heard it was the show went all the way to Vince. This is, this is secondhand. So I can't confirm this, but as I heard it, the show went to Vince and Vince watched like maybe a minute or two of it. (laughs) And apparently God damn. God damn pal. (laughs) Yeah. Like apparently, like it, 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 Clearly, it's in his hands whether he wants this to continue or not. If he had said no, Aftermath would have been dead, I'm assuming. Or right after wrestling would have been dead. But apparently, he said he saw some sort of merit to the show. He liked that on a sports channel, people were tuning in for an extra half hour or rounding out the half hour of wrestling. The requests were, whether they were from Vince or not, definitely from WWE, were uh, no more. uh, Just imagine what you would think a show would be what words you can't say, what topics you can't discuss. You used to have, instead of win or fail, you used to do heat, shine. Shine and heat, yeah. exactly. And that's why the name changed. So right after wrestling became Aftermath because... The, oh, the this wasn't alluding word. to your university degree. Correct. Yeah, Aftermath. That, yes, that would be my... Yeah, <laughs> me personally. Right after sports entertainment. Right after sports entertainment yeah. would have been the worst name in history. Ra- race? Rassy? <laughs> Anyway, so we did a contest and then uh, uh, the name became Aftermath, uh, picking a winner. So that's how that happened. I always find in those situations, it seems that the broadcaster is always, it's just kid gloves with the, the, with the company that they're dealing with. When it's 
You look at the power dynamic. We're paying you. We're gonna cover the bro- we're gonna cover your your product. Mm. However, we see like let's be honest. Yeah, but, WWE was not in a wonderful position in Canada either. It but, was a score or nothing. No. Well, where else maybe, are they going at that point? Fair, but. Maybe, maybe the other thing though is that WWE knew that the score. If if the score didn't have WWE, you wonder whether that channel would have survived, because there were no, there was nothing else driving ratings. And I remember, like, if you looked at their programming, especially Monday nights, they would get by far the biggest number of of anything else the whole week. Yeah. So they would put. I think I think that's why we never. I can't confirm this, but I think that's why we never had a show on Monday nights. Because they would put whatever their second most valuable show is to try and capitalize off of the raw Mm lead-in. Right. So, like, Drafted would be there a lot because that was a sponsored show, right? Yeah, yeah. That was the show that Jackie Jackie Redman came from and and, uh, Paul Brothers and Mm -hmm. maybe Faisal. Did Faisal do Drafted? I'm not sure. But definitely Jackie Redman and uh, and Paul Brothers who came out of Drafted. But, like, that's why it was there. Because I think they wanted to be able to show Gillette or whoever was sponsoring it that, hey, this is getting a big number. Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. But but if, if that didn't exist, I really feel like WWE sort of felt like they were in, 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 in the advantage there because the score had nothing else. So what was the show like post Vince McMahon so, finding out about this show? Then it just became shine and he became win and fail. And we weren't talking about writers and we were talking about like we were still able to give opinion. I could say, I don't like John Cena. I think John Cena is a bad uh, wrestler. I could say that. Well, I could... Did I say wrestler at the time? Let's assume I could. John Cena is a terrible performer. I don't like John Cena. I think that he's boring. I don't like him. I could say that. I would be allowed to say that. I would not be able to say, oh, I don't like how the writers are uh, treating John Cena in this segment. Or I think that... uh, I don't like the booking of this match. I don't like this storyline going into WrestleMania. I could word it differently to intimate that so that any uh, uh, smart audience member would understand what I'm saying. Was there not a thing that they couldn't be like correct there's no they are poorly using so and so they do not exist in my opinion john cena is not in a in the best position that john cena could be in right that's one way that I could say it for Mm -hmm. example but I will say this though to be fair to be completely fair the ratings didn't uh, drop Mm mm-hmm so like it wasn't like people were too, maybe they were but we didn't we weren't aware of it. It wasn't like people were saying, "Oh man, they're not talking about writers anymore, so I'm not going to watch this anymore." So, well, let, let's not. That's why we were sort of like, ah, okay. The format wasn't make or break on this. I mean, by this time, you you had a tremendous rapport with your audience. So mm-hmm. I mean, pat yourself on the back a bit here. Like you and Jimmy were extremely. That's a big risk, but I think also simply being on TV like gave you a tremendous advantage because where else on television would you be able to see this type of discussion? Probably mm-hmm. in terms of especially coming out, but coming out of WWE is the biggest thing. Like I cannot stress this enough. Without the WWE lead-in, that show would not be successful, in my opinion. I mean, it would still be people would. I, I'm sure people would discover it and people would care. But I honestly think that the lead-in was the most important part for that to be successful. And going back to what you were saying earlier about like Renee being discovered and whatever, what I do know is after that there were DVDs that were sent to. And I know this because oh, my yeah. boss at WWE told me this when I eventually got signed there was they were watching just to just for quality control and they right. actually enjoyed the show and so they were watching Renee it was incredible like she's fantastic at her job so they were watching Renee and like she's great we should have her here why wouldn't you right so then soon after that uh 
I mean, I don't know exactly how the audition process worked for Renee, but I know that soon after that they were either she was already on the radar or she definitely was after the DVDs were being sent for sure. Right. So come the end of your time at the score, mm-hmm. at that point, where, where's your mindset towards wrestling? Is it this, is that in the rear view? Is it just finding an alternate path at that point? Because that's early 2013. Yeah. So 2013, I got let go uh, because the whole Rogers thing, Rogers had bought the score. Uh, they bought the television station. Everyone was in limbo for like six months, but then there were cuts happening left, right and center. Mm-hmm. So I lost my job. And then I... The reason I was happy that I was on Aftermath was because I thought that it would get me a job at WWE. See, mm-hmm. like I, as much as I watched like your interviews and things like that, and I would love to compare, like you and I had different paradigms. Yes. Right? right. Yeah. Like I never called myself a journalist. I wanted a job at WWE all along. Mm-hmm. And I think it was pretty obvious if you watched my content, I was not, I was like the, the, I, I, we were discussing topics to grow the show, particularly the podcast, but I was never calling myself – I was never saying I'm a journalist. I am a hardline journalist. I'm going to talk about the you know the tough topics, etc. No, I was a fan that wanted to talk about WWE because I honestly thought that I would like to work at WWE one day. And so I thought that this would help me. In fact, it set me back several years. Like to do that show? Really? Actually, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In what way? In the way that, so my first audition was in 2009, actually. Mm -hmm. So I went there and I wasn't ready. I didn't have enough experience. They didn't call me back. Uh, I think uh, Big was the, John Gabrick was the guy in charge Mm -hmm. there. And I think- He's back there now. He's back at WWE now? He's back in WWE. Oh, good for him. Just recently. Oh, wow. What's he doing? I think it's similar to um, what he was doing before there, like in production. Oh, really? Yeah, he's done with Impact. and he, he, I know him and Kevin Dunn are really close. I yeah. think maybe that's why. Baltimore guys, I think, or something like that. Yeah, well, he had relocated to Nashville, so I, I don't know where he's living now. But yeah, oh. just over the past month, he's, he's returned there. Good for him. Great. So, well, I didn't leave the best impression on him in 2009. So, like, it wasn't a good audition. So, like, I tried to reach out to them for, you know, you know how it works. Like people who are pursuing that, you reach out to them every couple months and you don't hear back and you just keep trying and whatever. So I thought that, okay, maybe if I build my name in wrestling, maybe I'll be able to notice them better. But actually by the time I, uh, by the time I think big left in like 2013 ish or something like that. Yeah. And then a guy named Will Steger came in, who's now with IMG, but he came in for like a few months and he was just going through, because he wanted to make some hires. And that's where Renee, Tom Phillips, and Tony Dawson got hired. And so I was I was like, I was crushed that Tony and Tom got hired because I was like, oh man, like this, I applied for this so much and like and they're if similar. They were, they're yeah, similar they're similar to me. And I was like, oh, that's oh that, that's such a bummer to me. But I remember I, talking to you around. This oh stuff. yeah, you know, I wanted you to get hired so badly because oh, I knew so you wanted it. Oh yeah, I wanted it. Like that I, was I wanted. It. I you never made that a secret. No, and I think I think ultimately it. I think it took you taking yourself out of the wrestling space that it was something where they would have to want you and not you putting yourself in front of them. I was giving too much attention to the the proverbial pretty uh, woman at school. You know what I mean? Like I was giving it too much attention. Right. I needed to step back. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So I, yeah. And I got that advice too. Like in 2013, I had a really good audition. I, by then I was pretty, like I had some experience behind me and I knew wrestling lingo enough. Like Aftermath was good. 
uh, a, like a good practice to be able to talk in WWE speak. It really was because we were not saying belt. We weren't saying pro wrestling. We yeah. weren't saying hospital. Like we weren't saying all the words that you would expect not to be able to say. Right. So I did the audition. I didn't get hired, but through that, uh, they knew that I was like really serious about it. And so then I had, I basically had a, like a sit, like a, it was on the phone, but it was like a long talk. And it basically was, the message to me was, if you want to work at WWE as an announcer, you got to stop uh, associate, not associating, but you got to stop engaging with the wrestling bubble. Like you have to stop creating wrestling content, go and focus on other non-wrestling stuff. Go do sports, go do weather, whatever it is. Just don't do, don't be the wrestling guy, be something else. So I went dark on wrestling for probably eight months. And that's when I started joined the weather network because, uh, and how I got there very quickly was someone else at the score. I got let go a guy named Derek Snyder, who's like, Great, great guy. He got let go at the score as well, but he became the executive producer of the Weather Network. And he called me one day because we had worked together a lot at the score. And he was like, I'm going to uh, start a bureau in Ottawa. Do you want to go be the weather person? And I was like, in the winter? And he's like, yeah. And I was <laughs> like, all right, I guess I'm doing this. Not much else I'm doing right now. So I was like, okay, I'll go. And it was cold as hell. But and are fun. you taking this job knowing what's kind of been planted that I get away from wrestling that door's still open in your mind? I got lucky in the sense that, yeah, like it was almost like two weeks apart where it was like I have this conversation or the, the these talks and then uh dare comes calling and i was like wow this is very like it's a sign so i'm like okay i'm gonna take heed this advice so i went dark on twitter essentially i barely talked about wrestling at all i stopped writing for the baltimore sun i started stopped tweeting about wrestling and then i focused on weather and then so i did that for 11 months but and I moved to Vancouver for yes. a full-time job. And honestly, if I didn't, if I never got that job at WWE, I'd probably still be in Vancouver, to be honest with you, because it was a full-time job. It was doing what? Vancouver. As a weather reporter. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was a morning show guy. Like I, The hours were awful. Like I'd wake up at 3 in the morning and it would be a morning show thing wow. and I'd be done by 11. I'd file a story a day and then I would report on the weather. I mean, Vancouver's easy weather-wise because it's... It's raining. Surprise. Back to you. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. But you also got to do a lot of fun stuff there, too. Like, yeah. your stuff that would make its way online that people would, would see what you're doing and stuff. There were some fun interviews and stuff like that that we did, yeah. But then while I was there, I had one more interview in Stanford, and okay. that's when I got the job. Hmm. Uh, they finally said they would hire me, yeah. And, and and did you have a different demo that you would show them? Or, like, did they ask you, what have you been doing since the last time we spoke to you? And how, did, like, basically, did getting away from professional wrestling help you for this last interview? 100%. I heard it was, like, a month afterwards I went dark. I got a, a text message from someone in the talent relations department. They were like, hey, just so you know, Hunter's noticing. Wow. And I was like, great. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, at this point, I know not to hold my breath, but I'm like, okay, yeah. that's cool. Do you sit back now and just wonder, like, like the mind games that go on. Like, could you imagine speaking to an aspiring hockey reporter mm. or broadcaster and being told, you know what, if you want to make it to the NHL, stop doing junior A, stop doing minor league hockey. You have to get away from hockey. Go do tennis. It's unique for sure. Like yeah, it's, it's, not, it's really not, like it's unlike just, anything that exists. You're right. And and you look at you know an, another pathway of. Like Renee, that seamlessly you, you had to go like in through the back door and, and get around like to really get in there. And it's it probably had to play a ton on you mentally just to like, what do you have to do to get in there? Because no one doubted you can do this job. You can do like I wouldn't be able to do that job. Why not? Like sit on that desk and speak in that way. 
there's no way I could do it. I watched that panel. I was like, there's no way I could do that. And I think I you, why? I, I think you'd be perfect for it. What are you talking about? Uh, to do to you could do that. Trust the me. The first you, thing you, I think you watch those is, kickoff shows, Arda. I promise you, I couldn't. I would not be able to to talk like that. I don't think unless I you were not willing. Because I do know I can I can say that I don't know if it's the case anymore. But when I was sitting in on the raw pre show, a lot of that was scripted. So like. Unless you didn't want to because you didn't want to, like, compromise your integrity as a journalist or something like that. That I can understand. But doing the actual role, totally you could. Are you kidding me? Why? You have as much clout in wrestling as, as uh, Sam and Peter do. At that point, I, I, the job is not really that of a journalist, though. It's it's more... Yeah, uh, it's like... It's nothing using your clout in the wrestling industry to to bolster the, the pre-show, aren't they? Like, that's... Like, who Who's the guy from Barstool that's on there now, too? Oh, they've used him for the the takeover pre show. Yeah, I can't so remember like, the name. But off. that, but that's like to just generate to to capitalize off of people who have some sort of like role in the industry or like you know what I mean. Like, yeah. I like Sam and Peter. Like, they're they're good people. I like them. I'm sure they're, they're definitely they're, they're in nice that position. Guys. I, I, they've cultivated a, yeah. a, a following. In, I also in have zero desire to do it either. So well, then that's like, different. That's that's the reason why. Well, I, I watched that. It's like I don't think that's. I think that requires a, a certain skill set to be able to have a mm-hmm. uh in wwe universe conversation i think that that does take a lot of skill which i, I don't think i would have the the resources to it'd be, fun, back it'd be on. fun to see you try why is he selling himself short so much <laughs> wait what's going on here he's always like that so, uh, <laughs> so, so tell us a bit about how when you get that call yeah. like when is is it one more meeting you go through one more audition or like what's the what's the final stamp of approval that is needed at the, that the point, I get the call. No, I get the call, and uh, they tell me I'm getting hired, which is fantastic. And then, how did uh, you feel? Like, great. I was like relieved. I was like, this is amazing. Like, I was actually uh, at the airport going home to Toronto. So I was like, oh, this is awesome. I get to tell my parents in person, and like, this is something that they know I've been chasing for a while. So it's great. It was a great. It was great. That's probably definitely up until that point the greatest achievement in my career, right? But like, it just felt like I accomplished something. Like I was really yep. going after it, and it happened. You so, worked really hard. Yeah, I did. Yeah. And, and everyone great. knew that. Yeah. Like it was like people were genuinely happy for you. Yeah, and I, and I and I felt that. It was really nice, right? And then so uh, after that what happens is uh, so I had an agent and so the agent would just basically go through the details and then uh the get the work. You had visa. an agent before WWE or it coincided with with going there that you got an so agent. So I'll tell you how I got my agent cuz this is more of a, a hustler kind of story. So when Tony and Tom got hired I felt like maybe I'm not like, maybe there's a piece that I'm missing. Like, why did they get chosen over me? Like, I kept thinking about that. So what ended up happening was, uh, so I'd follow them on Twitter and read and everything. And I noticed that Tony interacted uh, with this one lady uh, who now is the head of talent at Fox Sports 1. Her name is Amy Leone. So Amy at the time was an agent at IMG. So I thought, huh, I wonder if... She helped Tony get to WWE. I didn't know much about the agent world because in Canada, you don't really use agents, right? Like it's not really a thing that you do as a broadcaster. That's more an American thing. Yeah. So I was like, huh, I wonder if... We had, person- we had one boss who told us, if you ever bring an agent in here, you're fired. <laughs> there you go, right? So, <laughs> Welcome to Canadian broadcast. There you go, exactly. You, you know how it is. So I was like, I wonder if Amy... Uh, is like the the way to get into WWE. Maybe she has the right connections and I'm not talking to the right people or whatever. 
So I pursued her. I, I reached out to her cold and I said, here's my demo reel. I'd love to have you represent me. My goal is to, uh, you know, get at this time is to get to WWE. And I, and I really feel like you have someone on your roster who's there. So maybe you can help me as well. And so at first, I don't think she was very impressed with my reel. But then I she was in White Plains um, in Westchester. And so I drove from Toronto to White Plains wow. without a meeting, hoping that I would be able to catch her. So I went to the reception and luckily she was in that day. So I sat in the uh, receptionist's office or the, the, the front office for like, I don't know, two and a half hours or so. And I was just waiting. And then finally the receptionist says, okay, Amy, we'll, we'll see you now. Like, I guess they told her that I was here and she had other stuff to do clearly because it was a work day. Like I just showed up un- unannounced, but she was impressed that I drove all that way. So she yeah. was like, okay, well, I'll give it a, an honest look. And she looked at my reel again and she said, actually, I see something here. So... Uh, she said, I'll work with you and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll do what I can and, you know, we'll work together. And- do you think do you like being up in Canada, maybe may, kind of discounted you from maybe a lot of the conversations, whereas being a part of the, you know, maybe being in, in, in the States kind of had, had, had an easier connection for a lot of the people that were down there. The biggest thing is that you have to, when a company hires a Canadian yeah. or someone outside of the U.S., they have to prove that there's nobody else that could mm-hmm. do that job as well as this person. So that often dissuades people from hiring anybody anyway. But I think that because I had, I think at, by the time I got hired, I think that I was a good enough candidate for them yes. to be able to make that case, even if... Even if there were people that didn't believe it, they could make it believable to the government. Right. So the, they could say, no, this person is the person we need and here are 10 reasons why. And so uh, it was at that point that I think that it was – that's the reason I think why it was okay to be able to – And is that several months of going through this process of you know getting into the country and, and – the, the actual hiring process being someone from outside the country. So what happened was after, like the 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 visa process took about two months. Yeah. Uh, WWE paid for it. Uh, it's basically a work visa to be able to work in WWE specifically, right? So like I would, yeah, it took about two months. It was like a, they handled the paperwork and everything. They put together a document that has all of your uh, accomplishments and whatever. It's like a you know, if you ever need an ego boost, have someone create this document for you, basically. <laughs> so, excuse me. So basically, once that gets done and once you get the, excuse me, work visa, then you're ready to to move. So then I moved uh, and I moved right to Stanford and WWE had me in a hotel for a month uh, until I found somewhere to live. And then I found somewhere in Stanford. I wanted to be close to work. So I rented a place and I leased a car. Those are the two things that I did. And then I went to work. What's that first day like? Just walking into into the office and like I've got like just listening from this podcast, people can see you're someone that, you know, just wants to dive into things head first. Are you just swimming with ideas, possibilities? Uh, what's kind of that? Pro- like what are your, your duties on, on like day one? Just getting acclimated to the place. They, they had me for a month just basically shadowing the other announcers yeah. like Scott Stanford and, and people like that. Just basically understanding how everything works and. I didn't get my name until probably a month and a half in. So like I was, I was waiting in the wings to get started, but it was just get acclimated, meet people and uh, get to know your department. Cause I got hired in the, as part of the international team who are a great bunch of people. Like those people I actually do miss. I would love to, you know, I keep in touch with a lot of them cause they're wonderful people. I do love the international department a lot. Representing Canada. 
No, they everywhere. So the the international department will create content oh. or handle all the non US slash domestic stuff. So Canada, I overseas, see. all that stuff. So like for example, that that Saudi Arabia show. Yeah. Uh, which here's a funny story for you. I got married on that day of oh, the wow. Saudi Arabia show, and I lost my DJ. Because my DJ happened to need to go to that show. Oh no because way! Because he also, yeah, he also worked works for WWE, and so uh, he was going to DJ my wedding. And then, like a couple, a month and a half before the the show, he was like, "You're going to hate me so much for this." <laughs> and I'm like, "What happened?" And he's like, "So we have this show in Saudi Arabia, and I can't get out of it. They need me to go." And I was like, oh, man. He's I was like, that one final dig from WWE. Did, did, Sammy, <laughs> did Sammy Zayn come to your wedding? No, he, he should have. He's not a DJ for the WWE, is he? No, he's not. He's okay. not a DJ for the WWE. No, he actually he took care of me. Like, he found someone cool, incredible. Cool, cool. So it wasn't it wasn't his fault at all. I'm not saying it's his fault. I just thought it was funny that yeah. it, this show happens to be on the same day. <sighs> What? So is there is there like a big a big room like somewhere where it's like a name generator yeah. like tell uh, I want to know the How process. How did you meet Kyle? How did I meet Kyle? So okay, well, uh, I knew that I wasn't going to keep either of my names. I had a feeling that I would have some sort of very easy to pronounce. Not even one of them. You didn't think? No, would make the no, cut. gosh, uh, Ocal probably would have been the one that was kept with an apostrophe after the O to make me Irish or something, right? <laughs> so like, so this what happened was. The, the whole international department put together a list, okay? So everybody was brainstorming names. And clearly, some producers took this way more seriously than others. Because I had names like Ray Donovan. No way. Like, oh, yeah. Like, it was, like, weird. <laughs> that would like, have been awesome. Yeah, I think Armin Van Buren was on there, too. Like, just random, like, okay, yeah, I'm going to be Ray Donovan. That would be great. I bet you I could have gotten that, like, through, though. That would have been hilarious. Hi, I'm Ray Donovan, and here are your new slams. Can you Armin imagine Van that? Buren, I uh, Armin. <laughs> I think that's a DJ name. Armin, Armin, Armin Van Buren is yeah. an actual DJ. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like it's just funny. Like some people were like, okay, like they're gonna pick something else anyway. So let's just put ridiculous names yes, on it. Yes. So I thought of names that were like alliterated because you know, and then also two first names because we all know, you know, Josh why? Matthews, Tom. Well, why, why? Why do you think way? Do Tom Phillips, know? Josh Matthews, Michael Cole, Jim uh, Ross. It's so strange. Justin Does Roberts. That make somebody easier to remember. I I argue like it makes them a bit more generic to like have a, a, a very. I, I think we were ready for the Artitude era. Yes, the Artitude. Oh my God, that's my shirt. Guys, I'm opening up a pro wrestling tees store, and uh, that's going to be my shirt, the Artitude. <laughs> ProWrestlingTees.com slash Armin Van Buren. <laughs> the exactly. That's my gimmick because I'm a DJ, and I'm like wrapping my, uh, yeah, I'm wrapping my newsletter. Is Kyle Edwards on the list that they no, present you? Oh, not that's at all. a rogue name. I think the, the story that I heard, I again, I cannot confirm this. I heard this through like secondhand, was the list, like Vince... Is this like 50 names, 100 names? Yeah, it's like it's about like 30, 40 names. It's, wow. it's a lot of names. A lot of time I contributed like five of them. I contributed like, what did I put? Like Ryan Randall was one of the names that I contributed. I was like solid, easy to say names, same uh, first letter for both names and and uh, first names for first and last name. I figured, you know what? I can be safe. Maybe I should pick one of those because I feel like maybe that's what I'm going to end up with. Do you imagine like... Howard Finkel or Tony Chimmel pronouncing this name is like, what, what would the sound like if I'm actually introduced or something? <laughs> Give him something yeah. to roll the R's with or something. Yeah. We actually had Howard do our intro for uh, Aftermath. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. 
Um, so Kyle Edwards. So then, so apparently the list went to Vince, and Vince looked at him, didn't like any of them, and he liked the name Kyle. So I became Kyle as the first name. The first name was going to be Kyle Richards. He's like, I like Kyle Richards. So I get a call from my boss. My boss goes, Congratulations, you're Kyle Richards. Uh, you can tell your friends and family. Don't change your social media yet. Let me just make sure legal's cool with it. Whatever. And I'm like, Great. So I text all my buddies. I'm like, Yeah, I'm going to be Kyle uh, Richards. This is great. So five minutes later, I get a phone call from my boss. Hey, you're not Kyle Richards. And I'm like, okay, why not? What happened? I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't dejected. I wasn't like married to the name or anything. It was like, okay, well, what happened? Apparently Kyle Richards is the name of a housewife on television. Oh. oh. And I'm like, okay. but wouldn't you have noticed that before? Like, I don't know. So apparently it's like a real housewife of Atlanta or something like that. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm you know not You know what's an original Richards. name? Ardo Cal. I guarantee I'm the only one with that name. <laughs> could just go with that. I should have pitched John Pollock. How pissed would you have been if I got on WWE television and I was like, hi, I'm John Pollock with your time? <laughs> I would have sued. Yeah, 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 right? <laughs> I should have went with Wei Ting personally, I think. You know, I don't even... Yeah, have- I bet you Wei Ting would, would be on WWE oh, television God. before Ardo Cal Maybe. I'd be part of the Chinese announce team. I, I, I you and I, Charlie Min. I, I like it. It's, it's ethnic. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> uh, so then, yeah, that is, what did I do? I started with Bottom Line and the New Slams, and uh, it was really funny getting all those tweets like... we. Kyle Edwards? Who the, hell, who the hell is this Kyle Edwards guy? I think we know a different guy. Mm-hmm. Like, because that was like my first exposure in WWE was in Canada. Yeah, on New Slam. Yeah, right? yeah. on doing the New Slams. So. I'm very curious about production yeah. backstage in the WWE. How did it differ from maybe your previous experience? Very professional. No, yeah. the, 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 especially the Stanford studio was very professional. Sure. At that time, they had also created this in, this very big green screen studio. It was very well done. It's very This is cool. like six months after the network's launched. So yes. I imagine there's there's quite a lot that's been put into... A lot. And there were actually a lot of like, they were they made this giant green screen studio with plans to shoot a lot of stuff there for the network. It was very, it's very, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's large, huge green screen. They had uh, a bunch of cameras on those tracks that they can yep. operate uh, remotely. Very, very, very good production. Yeah, for sure. They were very... It was a very seamless production, and especially the producers in the international department, which I worked with the most, are fantastic. Very good people. You know, given that the network is just launching, are you looking at that as something that, man, there's just limitless opportunities here? And conversely, did you see kind of the vision of the network evolve over your time there, like of what it was going to be versus what it ended up being? Um uh, even compared to like near near the end of like just changes you saw. 100%. I honestly thought that they might use me as like the history guy. Mm-hmm. I honestly did. And actually I got very close. And when I look back on it, I think that's what I wanted to do all along at yeah. WWE. Like I don't think that I was like I was doing the bottom lines and the experiences and stuff like that. But like I don't think anyone ever like you do that because it's part of the job. But like it wasn't like I'm getting out of bed and I'm like raring to go mm-hmm. doing bottom line. Like I – it's it's more like because that's part of the job. It's still it's it's enjoyable. It is. The producers are very fun to work with. But like in terms of the content, I think what I really wanted was I wanted to just bring the history to life. Like I think that's what I really cared about the most. Because yeah. like, you know, Which we you got to do a bit with like, the, the Graves thing. Yes. And so that was like probably the thing I'm most proud of there is that somehow we were able to green light that. It was just like a two to three minute thing on YouTube and on the network where we were just talking about something fun that happened that week it was just this week in history that's what it was and it was just fun what's the process like of you know um, trying to pitch new ideas when you're in that system so i go to my boss like in the international i had two bosses uh that i would report to and i would basically just you know meet with them once a month and just you know say hey things are going good whatever Uh, i have some ideas for the network or maybe some ideas for for segments uh can i pitch them to you and they always say yes of course they're going to be receptive and listen Mm -hmm. so I, i put together like 
a one pager this time, not a 15 pager. <laughs> and I was like, here's what I think. Like maybe it might, it might be cool to put together like a, just a YouTube series or something for digital where it's just like, let's talk about what, what happened. But like, instead of being like, Hey, this week in history, the Ironman match happened at WrestleMania 12, where we talk about it. Uh, you know, you always hear about those stories. Maybe it's something interesting. Like, Hey, this week, uh, Shawn Michaels won the Intercontinental title for the first time. And let's show that footage. And maybe we can talk about it. Maybe we can have like a little discussion around it. Stuff like that. So, because I knew that like, you know, wrestling fans are, you know, they have voracious appetites, right? They, they care. Nice. They just want to, they want to consume as much as possible. So I was like, this would be fun for them. And it would be fun for me because sure. I wanted to create it. So uh, I was surprised actually, like I, I, I handed it in and I was surprised to hear that they, they liked it and they said, yeah, we can, we can do this. And I think that it was also an opportunity for uh, different producers. Like every week there was somebody different working on it. So it was cool practice and cool, like something different for people to, to bite, sink their teeth into. Mm-hmm. So that was a lot of fun as well. So like I, I had a big hand in like picking the moments, but also like, writing stuff out and working with the producers. And I enjoyed that. I, I enjoyed it. I felt like it was something create. It was like a creative outlet for a while, for sure. For, for basically somebody in your position at that time in the company, maybe just getting in and just starting to get comfortable to promote, pr- put, uh, pitch new ideas. Like what, what would you say like um, your, your, the forecast was for you? Cause you were probably looking to, were you looking to do commentary? Were you looking to become a host on, on Raw or, or, or pay-per-view or something like that in the future? And what are the steps to try to get to that? Yeah, that's a good question. So I I thought at the time that I should want these things, right? Like I should want to be the voice of Raw or I should want to be a backstage interview on Raw or doing stuff on the road. I thought that that was the holy grail, right? Looking back on it, I would have loved to stay in, in Stanford looking back on it now and keep the position I was in. If I could do some stuff for the network or whatever it was, that would be great. But then I was like, no, I'm ambitious. Like I, this is what I'm supposed to be like. And I would have like two trains of thought from two different schools of people at WWE. One of them was you got to be ambitious. You got to go for what you want. You got to ask for what you want. You got to like pursue it relentlessly. And then the other side of it was, you know, Pick your spots, pick your battles, make sure that you don't ruffle feathers, don't ask for too much, do what you're told and go home. Which seems like the same thing talent has to, that's a high wire act. Exactly. Very much like talent, much less stressful on on my end as a low level announcer, but definitely more stressful as somebody who's actually drawing money for the company Mm -hmm. uh, and and, and a lot more landmines to walk around, right? So for me... Uh, it was just more like I, I was just vocal. Like, I think that was one of the reasons that maybe I was soured upon was just because I was just like a very overambitious guy, you know, mm-hmm. like I was just like always maybe over eager, maybe a little bit too much, you know. So I looking back on it, I feel like maybe I could have toned it down a little bit and not asking, not not complaining per se, but just more like don't ask as much. Right. Even if, even if I thought at the time it wasn't asking much, if it was like once every couple months or something, maybe it was, I didn't think about it in those terms. Right. So I asked a lot. I mean, not like every week, every month kind of thing, but definitely once every couple months, every few months, maybe I would ask for stuff. It seems similar to some of the stories we hear about, about talent, actually. Some of the ones who might be a little too, too involved in, in storylines, perhaps not getting uh, exactly what. Oh yeah. There's guys, the writers, they'll just, they'll shut these guys out. Yeah. But then there's the others. It's where it's like, well, why aren't you speaking up? This is your career. It's Mm. like, you can, you can debate either point. It comes down to if, you know. 
And at the end of the day, it that, you can drive yourself two, crazy. Yes, and those two arguments that you just made there completely apply whether you like the person or you don't like the person, whether you want the person exactly. to succeed right. and you don't want the exactly. person to succeed, right? Like you could use those two arguments in any situation. You can justify whatever position you want. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So in my case, I felt like the first year of me being there, they were high on me. I felt like people told me that I was told by an executive at one point that, oh, you're going to be the future of this business announcing wise. Like I heard those literal words and I was like on a high for like two weeks. This is great. But then as soon as that happened, you know, something changes or someone says something or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden you're in the doghouse or whatever it happens. And sometimes it's not even something you realize you did or whatever it is. Like all those stories that you hear from backstage about like someone I don't know, eating a chicken wing over someone's bag or or not that extreme, but you know what I mean? Like something that you wouldn't even think would lead to any sort of heat suddenly does. I'm not saying I had heat. I don't know if I did. No one ever told me. It's just all of a sudden things just dissipated and like people that were accessible at some point weren't anymore. And maybe they had other people to look at or maybe they just didn't see it in me anymore. I don't know. Maybe I didn't prove enough to them. I'll never know. But at the same time, to be honest with you, about a year and a half in, I was really burnt out. Like I just mm-hmm. didn't care about wrestling anymore at the time. I think I needed, I definitely needed a break because I just wasn't passionate about it anymore, you know? So it wasn't conducive for me to even be in that environment anymore. Right. So you kind of could, you could, did you kind of foresee that the end was near for you? At the, this wasn't like an out of left field thing. Oh, no. Yeah, totally. I, I, I saw the writing on the wall for probably, I don't know, a few months at least. I felt it anyway in my gut. So I said, okay, well, that's – and actually while I was still at WWE, I was talking to my agent asking for auditions elsewhere. Like I had auditions at different places and right. so – Because you were free to do outside yes, stuff. Yes, I was. I was non-exclusive. And you had your green card for this time? Yes. So I did have my green card. Uh, I, I went through the process to get it. And I know a lot of people joke that I got married so I could <laughs> stay in the States – the joke's on me. She's marrying me to come to Canada. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. amazing. <laughs> well, but yeah, that's the joke that we had. But yeah, so like, um, yeah, so at that time I had, so I was able to, exactly. So I had the green card way because I, I'd be able to work anywhere yep. in the States, uh, which is, I know a lot of Canadian broadcasters have that problem. Because when, if you only have a work visa, you can't work anywhere yeah. other than that company. Right. So it's, and there's no like blanket visa that can be given to you. Like, oh, you're just a broadcaster. You work anywhere in broadcasting. So, so you were thinking about life after wrestling, right after wrestling, um, or already by this point. That would be the law life after wrestling. <laughs> oh yes, man, look, right. at, look at that. <laughs> yeah. But like by this point, like you're in the system and you're kind of realizing it's not what you thought it would be. And you're looking to the future. Yeah, I was. And I, and I knew that, uh, I was in the backstage environment enough to know that I don't think that I was cut out for life backstage. Mm. I was definitely enjoying the work that I did in Stanford. I loved working with International. I loved the WWE Network stuff that I did. I really enjoyed all of that. And if they came back to me and said, you can do this and keep your other stuff, I would do it. Because Mm. it's like, it was, honestly, I was at WWE maybe once or twice a week doing actual work. And then I would go to the tower Actually, I asked my boss, can I just go and pick the brains of people in different departments? So I actually learned a lot there. Like I went to the sales department. Hey, how does this work? I went to like the head of merchandising. How does this work? The head of licensing. Hey, what happens here? The video game guys. Well, how does this work? Like I wanted to learn about the different facets of the company because because A, I cared. But B, I also felt like that might be seen as a good 
being a good employee, so to speak, right? Like being sure. somebody that actually cared. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, one week I'd spend with Ben, ben at, the, uh, at the warehouse or another day I'd spend with uh, the, the talent relations department and stuff like that. So it was, it was a good education on that front, but I didn't have to be there. I didn't do, it wasn't, I wasn't paid to do that. I just did it because I lived in Stanford. It was close by. So, but then by the end of it, I was burnt out and I'm in hindsight being 2020, I'm happy that it happened, but I'm also happy I'm not there anymore. Right. Yeah. No, no, Especially I, backstage. I, I don't think I would ever want that life, like the regular grind of being backstage. I, I, can you get into elaborate on, on exactly what, what the stresses of, of, you know, being in that backstage environment might be? It's very rigid in the sense that like, I just felt like you're constant. I can't, I felt like I was constantly walking on eggshells because especially because I wasn't talent i wasn't drawing a dime for the company so i felt like i you know doing the right things is a big thing right like even at the indies they they teach you that you gotta shake everyone's hand you gotta make sure that you're not doing anything wrong uh if you're catering make sure that there's enough seats available make sure you're not sitting in anyone's seat make sure you're not in the wrong place you don't you're not supposed to be make sure you're not in the same in a room that you're not supposed to be like i was constantly thinking of like 30 different things Mm -hmm. so like Whereas people can be experts at that and they're they're very good at being able to handle that. At that time, at least, I don't know if it's the same anymore. I well, have heard things that things have gotten a little bit less stressful in that regard. Well, let me ask you this. Life. Had you not had a traditional wrestling background mm-hmm. and you're walking into this as someone that, for lack of a better term, is maybe naive to all of these, you know, just things that can, you know, rub people the wrong way. Do you think you would have acclimated easier just kind of having your head kind of in the sand that, you know, not knowing all of this stuff because you come in here with like an, an expertise on etiquette in, in pro wrestling. Do you think you would have had an easier time just kind of not being able to overthink this because you didn't come from that background? Or would it be worse? I feel like I would have done something completely offside that I didn't know was offside and I would have gotten instant heat and it would have taken a long time, right. especially because I wasn't over or any sort of valuable announcer. They would have just looked at and laughed and been like, yeah, we don't need this guy. Yeah. Was there somebody who helped you guide, guide, like navigate those waters at the time or was it something you already kind of knew? Uh, I mean, I would talk to people every now and then. Renee helped actually. Like she helped me uh, with, with stuff. I would pick her brain every now and then and then uh natty would help i mean she usually the usual helpful people uh that you would think about like i would talk to every now and then but it wasn't like a like let's have a weekly check-in kind of thing but i but i definitely like would talk to my bosses too like they would they would say like you know make sure you do this or whatever you know like i wasn't but also i was only there once a month too like so like i saw what was happening sure but like i didn't feel like i was on the road enough to even be able to generate uh any amount of heat per se, because I wasn't there all the time. So it was like, I'm in and out. It was just for a day. I'd be at raw or something like that. You know what I mean? So I didn't feel like I was, unless I wasn't, I wasn't told John, (laughs) who knows. And you just detox afterwards. Like you're just like, are you kind of just removed from, from wrestling mentally at this point? I've watched maybe three or four matches since I left. Still. Wow. Yeah. I think I said this on the, on the Christmas show, you guys. Yeah, I know. I was like, I think the next time I would ever really, watch wrestling regularly is if I have kids and they, they want to watch wrestling. I wouldn't take that away from them because I experienced so much joy growing up watching wrestling. So at that point, then I'd make some calls to people that are there mm-hmm. to say, hey, hook my kid up with a tour or you know, hook my kid up with tickets or something like that. that. Then I would pull some strings maybe. But otherwise, I have no desire to be in that environment at all, no. But you don't regret kind of having – like if you, if you go ahead of time – you get your big job. Mm-hmm. Like this is your dream to work there. But at the outside, you come out of it and you don't seem to have any kind of emotional attachment to it anymore. Was that was that worth it for you? 
Yes, it was worth it. It was worth it to go through it because I feel like if it never happened, I'd probably be thinking what if all the time. And actually it helps me now because I feel completely free. Like I feel I don't regret it at all. You checked I'm out happy. Off the box. Exactly. I, I feel like I'm very happy. It happened. Good for me. I had the experience. And I have a lot of friends in wrestling that I'm glad that I do, but I don't have that innate, I don't have that desire to be there. And it's like my number one consuming thought. I don't have that at all anymore. It also got you into the United States broadcasting system. It, yeah, correct. Yeah, no, huge. WWE was a, was a net positive for me. Like I know that people, sure. I hear it a lot and I appreciate the sentiments. Like even like legends and, and, and big names say this to me. And I appreciate it that they're like, you know, I feel like you weren't used to your potential. Thank you. I appreciate that. At the same time, I'm able to go and pursue other things. So like I have nothing. I don't I, I believe me, I don't spend my time being like, oh, I hate that place. I don't at all. I like a lot of people there. And in fact, I at the end of the day, when I look back on it, like 20 years from now, I'm going to be like, I'm glad that happened. And I'm glad that it happened exactly the way that it did. It's not all that different from the two of us with the Fight Network. I yeah, we don't exactly. have ill will. We have a lot of friends there, but I, I wouldn't turn back the clock I, to go, I, to go back. I look back at that time as as like educational, if anything. Like where we wouldn't be where we are, and I imagine you wouldn't be where you are working at MSG if not for the experience that you had. You know, everything leading up to to this point. Yeah. So, exactly. so how? So what was your next step after you 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 were done with wrestling? After that, uh, actually. Uh, uh, Amy got a new job. My agent got a new job. So I was also looking for a new agent as well because she gave me good advice. She was like, you know, IMG is going through like uh, a thing right now where they're bringing in like big names, like, you know, the Michael Strahan's of the world and stuff like that. So she said, you know, you're going to be a small fish in a big pond. So I would suggest looking somewhere that would be more of a boutique firm so that they would have cater to your needs more. And I'm glad I did that because my agent now uh, is fantastic and I and I and I we get along great and he's been you know he hustles hard for me and I really appreciate that very much so after that honestly it was dusting off all of my non-wrestling stuff mm. so like all the stuff I did at Rogers which I'm glad I did so all the OHL AHL that kind of stuff anything sports related I did at the score putting together a demo reel that was completely non-wrestling related maybe a little bit of wrestling just to show range but otherwise completely not hiding wrestling from my resume mm -hmm. but more so accentuating everything else so i just did a whole summer's worth of uh of auditions i basically auditioned at different places and that's how i got the job at msg i auditioned i went in they were putting together a hockey program and uh they like what they saw and they said okay we want to bring you on as the host of this show and i've been doing it for two seasons hmm. and it led to other stuff like it's been a really really it's been a lot of fun there do you think it would have been tougher to crack into something like MSG if you had spent more time at the WWE? Like basically having a, 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 a longer reel, let's say, of 10 years worth of professional wrestling footage. Is that tougher? or Possible, especially because of my name. My, my Wikipedia still says Kyle Edwards. Oh, really? I don't know how to you change, change that. You can change that. Can I change that? You could, Wikipedia, everybody can change on their own. Can someone please tell me how to do this? Because I really want to know how to change it. No, if seriously, that's the listening. biggest thing. Like, yeah, if someone's... Please, please, please help me out. That'd be amazing. I'd love that. Um, the, change it to Armin Van Buren, please. <laughs> that'd be so good. Yeah. I'm the second one. No, I'm the more popular. At least an AKA. <laughs> also that's so good. Is. And what what did you have to go through Twitter-wise? Because you had... You had Arda underscore Ocal, yeah. then you change it, and now you're Arda Ocal TV. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean... Well, Arda Ocal's taken. 
Arnold Cows oh, Tate. So is yeah. John Pollock, by the way. That's why. Isn't it annoying? I, it was, have you have you gone through any uh, like anything to try and get John Pollock? I haven't tried. Uh, you are my main Twitter hook. <laughs> Art is <laughs> the reason I got verified. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, no, it's actually someone like he's like this professor who is like pretty active so i don't, oh, I don't so think i'm t- it's not someone who's just got an egg account or something i so. don't want to say mine's a squatter but definitely not someone who's like super active on twitter mm-hmm. so like what am i supposed to do so you're on they're on your list you're you're targeting how, how them. dare they they'll go for no, it anyway. but you you never had any thoughts of coming back to canada it was always you know you want to stay to uh, be honest with you the, the, the thoughts that i have coming back to canada it's not like i'm not ruling it out as a possibility but more it's a th- it it it's more what would Jen, my wife, want to do in terms of raising kids. Like her family is is in New York, and so that's where we live now. And but she she actually really likes Canada. Mm-hmm. So I, if she if she said, and this is where I am in my life right now, which I honestly never thought I would be, because you know how it is. You you know going through the grind in your twenties, and you're like the career's the number one thing. Like that's the way I lived, man. Like yeah. you know what I mean? It was like career's number one. And every decision I make has to be career focused. I'm going to get these big jobs and I'm going to make it to WWE or I'm going to be, you know, the voice of hockey or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's like that you're like laser focused. Right. Yeah. But now it's like you have you have, a, you, have a, you have a child. Right. Like you, you understand. It's like if Jen told me I want to go raise kids in Canada. Well, then I'm moving mountains to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And then if that means that I don't get a job in Canadian broadcasting because it's so saturated and there's like the ratio of uh applicants versus jobs is 400 to one and i'm just not good anymore and and i need to go find something else okay so be it maybe i'll do content on the side maybe i'll do the fifth or sixth podcast on post wrestling and that'll be enough for me <laughs> oh wow look at that i can do the 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 announcer uh, podcast where i <laughs> and then I'll, that'll be my contribution <laughs> well maybe if we branch into a uh, post esports I mean, that's it post esports you can just take it take it and run with it hey can i ask you guys a question yes sure something i've always wanted to know i actually do not know the answer to this question i hope and i know I'm, the answer i'm hope i'm hoping i don't open the whole law wound here but i i need no to know wound. the answer to this no wound. so the law started with merrick right yeah. with yeah. jeff merrick so how did that transition go from jeff merrick or that era to your era so so with Jeff, like him, uh, he was like owning the, he owned the law or at least owned, I think, a significant portion of and, it. And where did he start it? it was they a, it they was started on, on virtually right? Canadian with, with Donnie and Chris Tidwell. Like they kind of were. Chris Tidwell. Yeah. Yay. Those were kind of the, the three that, that launched it in 97. Okay. And then along the way, after Tidwell and Donnie left the show, Jeff was running it with, I think like the parent company was Thin Data. And there was a guy named Chris Carter involved. And what happened was um, the Fight Network came along and made them a ridiculous offer to buy it. And they just – they sold it. The to, law name. Uh, the name, the website. Yeah. Oh, and, and a time slot. Like that was pretty much what they bought. And we got wow. called in by Merrick. And so you were at the Fight Network at the time. No, I you wasn't. Weren't. I was just volunteering at – 640. When I started at the law, which I was doing website stuff and then I was doing call screening, like I wasn't making a penny at the beginning until the Fight Network came on board. So we got called in by Merrick and we assumed they were just pulling the plug on the show. We thought it was done and instead they said, well, there's this new channel that's about to launch and we've sold it over and we met with those guys. And that just got that opened the door for me to get a job at the Fight Network when I was in my, I guess, second year of university. Holy cow. And then Wei came on as an intern several months later, and that's how I met Wei. 
The way well, we, we had, as an intern of the Fight Network, yeah. that was wow. That was like my pretty much the, well, one of the first. Uh, I had volunteered a lot, uh, but it was kind of led to my first job in the industry was uh, just uh, interning at the Fight Network, and then I. I so Merrick sold it. Twelve years. Yeah. Jeff sold it yeah. to Fight Network, and then moved on. Did he do yeah. wrestling stuff afterwards? Well, Jeff Jeff had already stopped doing the show at this point. He had ownership he, or something. He had ownership of the show, so he had stopped doing the. The hosting portion, like mid two thousand three, because that's when Leafs Lunch started, and he was getting much more involved with hockey. Got it. At six forty, so it was Dan and Jay doing the show from that point on, mid oh three till early two thousand five, and that's when the Fight Network bought it. Okay, so Dan and so Jay Jeff really stayed just, on with it. Yes, through the transition, and then you came on. Yeah. Okay, I understand. When did you guys first start doing content? What was the first piece of content you guys did? I guess it would be. Um, probably not till 2009. Oh, really? And my thinking was just simply probably, that... Uh, I, I don't know how some of those askaways, when, when some of those started, but we would... He would he would ambush me, basically. And he would pull, <laughs> like, I, I would call screen for the show, and then I think he would just drag me into the studio after the show or before the show just to record a bit to add on to the end of the law. Because I thought, all these people are listening to this show live. Why are they going to download it the next day? And it was just, let's was tack wrong. on something at the end... And then we get live listeners and we get people downloading the next day. And that was it. That was my only thinking. That's clever. That's clever. And then it just – and to be honest, like the reason we just expanded our shows was by 2011 or so, like I was pretty much put on the sidelines at the Fight Network. They weren't using me for anything. I was just like had nothing to do. So it was just, hey, do you want to do some more podcasts because I'm bored out of my mind? Yeah. It's, it's uh. crazy. But at the same time, I think like – in some way, I'm grateful that we had those slow periods and that we worked for a company that I had a lot of slow periods at a lot of different times because it T- allowed- If I had just done TV there, yeah. I would have hit a dead end. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have had anything coming out of there. I had way more people that knew of us because of our podcast and, than from anything on TV. And we had a great – much like you at the score, like we had a great deal of freedom to basically do whatever we wanted, you know, under a lot of people's radar. Uh, and I think that's part of the reason why we've cre- crafted such a loose format with, mm-hmm. with so much of our content that – that's awesome. Seem to resonate with. We, we actually have a, a parallel in kind of what our companies would allow us because we did like one of our reviews. We did we reviewed the China porn and put it online. <laughs> I can't believe. And I know that. you interviewed China. <laughs> yeah. And that one got taken down. Did it, it not? It did. Well, that question definitely did because it was like, no, we can't have this online at all. Yeah, yeah. we put that on the website. So I had to sign up. This was years and years ago. I had to sign up for the website for her video. Vivid. Oh, I had to put in my credit card, and then I forgot to cancel it. So, <laughs> yeah, okay. So, forgot to cancel it. No, I'm, I'm not lying. Uh-huh. So the next month, it went like... It's, Ten years later, he still forgot. Yeah, yeah. yeah oh, longer. boy. No, two months later, my visa bill comes, and I've got this giant bill for fucking Vivid, where I paid for this. I signed up for a three-day trial, and I forgot to cancel oh it. God. So, anyway... That was the difference between the score and the fight network. I'm with I'm with Way. Ten years later, still, yeah, still (laughs) forgotten. Well, that's I think that's what I wanted to know. I was was curious. I think this this interview has climaxed. So I think that that's that's probably wow. Well done. Slow clap for you, John. I mean, not not exactly U.S. broadcast worthy, but in Canada, (laughs) people will take it. Uh, This has been a super fun interview to uh, to chat with. We've we've kind of got a lot of good feedback for these uh, roundtables. So I think you have you have you have elevated the bar. You're not going to get any good feedback for this one. This is fantastic. We didn't even kind of get into how you met your wife and and everything. She's not a wrestling fan, actually. Okay, one last story for you. So I wanted her to see me in the wrestling environment just once. 
So the only you rest met her after you were done with everything. Yes, right well, after wrestling. like like two months before I got let go, okay. and she is not a wrestling fan at all. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's very little that I will do in wrestling anymore. And one of the things that I will do uh, is that uh, Jan Murphy, right? He does a, yep. a yearly show in Kingston, mm-hmm. uh, which is a charity show, yeah. and uh, great, I will great show he does. Yeah, like. Yeah. Really, really good guy. Yeah, he's he's fantastic. I really like him. He's one of my favorite people in wrestling. And I will go and do his show as a as an announcer just because it's fun and I get to see everybody. And, you know, last last year Jimmy was there and Greg Oliver's there and like all the all the, all the Canadian luminaries are coming out of the woodwork. It's always fun. Pat's there, LaPrade, right? It's just fun stuff. So I brought Jen because I just wanted Jen to see. Uh, first of all, she'd never been to a wrestling show. Second of all, I wanted her to see just like be around the environment and everything. And <laughs> we're watching them. I bring her to the announce table. We're sitting down, we're watching the matches and stuff like that. And she's watching this about like halfway through the match. And I'm explaining stuff to her and stuff. And then finally she turns to me and she goes, so who exactly finds this entertaining? <laughs> and I don't like, know my I life's l- work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love you yeah. and I'm going to marry you. Exactly. <laughs> it's just so perfect. What a That's perfect awesome. bow tie to the, to, to the life, right? Definitely, definitely. That's fantastic. And congratulations. Yeah, thank uh, you, thank very you. happy for you. All the stuff that's going on with you. I mean, you're a super busy guy. And I think everyone that's listened to the show realizes the just how ambitious of a person you are, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that was it really comes through. And I would I would point to you for people that are aspiring in this industry of uh, to follow, whether it's getting in a car, going somewhere that you don't even have a meeting lined up and just knocking on 11 doors with the hope of getting one answer. I will say that uh, one thing I do like to do on the side is uh, I get a lot of people sending me like matches and stuff to critique. Mm-hmm. So if anyone is an aspiring announcer out there and and I, I happily will do this, just please tweet me and say, hey, I listened to this and I want you to critique anything that I'm doing. It, br- aspiring broadcaster, aspiring pro wrestler, even if it's just advice and stuff, I will happily like exchange emails or, or, or talk with you. That's like I, I actually enjoy doing that. I would love to be, you know, what would be a cool job? And I know that we're going overboard here, but nope. like, what would be this a cool is the job? overrun? The overrun, yeah. This is the ask ask away portion of yeah. the podcast. I would love to be like what William Regal is to the wrestlers. I would love for that position to exist to be able to like help announcers actually make it and be like, here's the mistakes I made, or here's the do's and don'ts. If you really want to be an announcer at WWE or host at WWE, here are the suggestions and the and the and the path to take. Like, I will gladly give out the information. Mm-hmm. Do you know anything that I know that would help the, these people make it? I think a lot of people should just listen to what you outlined here. This is not a traditional industry that you just apply for. Yeah. You get a job. It's, it's like you need to rely on people that have been there. Yeah. So, like, yeah. What's the best way for people to find you? On Twitter, for sure. Art Ocal TV. On Instagram as well. Like, feel free to send me a tweet. And then we'll, I'll happily connect. I, I will, or, or get in a car and drive eight hours and, and just wait outside of his house. And then I'll be like, ah, no thanks. Slam the door. <laughs> See you later. That's it. Damn Armin. Big time. Armin. Us. Armin always big times us. I hate that guy. He is Art Ocal for waiting. I'm John Pollock. And thank you for listening to the Post Wrestling Roundtable.